welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is brought to you by Overwolf. With over 1,500 games supported, 165,000 creators, and 38 million monthly active users, Overwolf is the guild for in-game creators. Whether you're a gamer, creator, or game studio, Overwolf is the ultimate destination for integrating UGC in games. For game studios, Overwolf offers CurseForge for Studios, a white label solution that lets game makers and publishers easily integrate mods safely and seamlessly into their games, both existing and new, at zero cost. It's battle-tested by AAA studios and games, including Maxis with The Sims 4, Studio Wildcard with Ark, Take-Two Interactive, and others. For creators, Overwolf is the all-in-one platform that enables creators to build, distribute, and monetize in-game apps, mods, and game servers. In 2022, Overwolf paid over $160 million to in-game creators, proving that they truly value the talents and contributions of the gaming community. You can check out everything Overwolf has to offer at overwolf.com or check out the details in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Aaron Bush, and I'm genuinely so excited for today's episode. One topic that we've covered off and on over the past many months on this podcast has been esports, a fun, competitive corner of the gaming world that continues to undergo profound changes. Of course, not all esports or esports organizations are created equally, and this conversation will center around what I so far see as the most interesting esports organization out there. That would be 100 Thieves. And for those who don't know, 100 Thieves was founded in 2017 by Matthew Haig, otherwise known as Nadeshot, and has since gone on to win championships in Call of Duty, Valorant, and League of Legends, and has grown far beyond esports into apparel, game accessories, energy drinks, and now they even make video games. So clearly, there is a lot going on here, and that's why I'm thrilled to be joined today by John Robinson, who oversees all of these business lines as president and COO of the company. So John, thank you so much for hopping on today. Aaron, thanks for having me and uh, thanks, for the, uh, thanks for the kind words. Awesome. So obviously, 100 Thieves does a lot. So there's a bunch of stuff that we'll, we'll try to tackle today. But before we dive into the business details, I'd love for our audience to learn a bit more about you. Because unlike most esports executives, you actually have a pretty deep background in the games industry. So could you just take a, a couple moments just to share your your journey in the games industry prior to joining 100 Thieves? Sure. Um, I guess to take it to take it all the way back, uh, one of my first jobs was working for the Cincinnati Reds as a data analyst. Um, to date myself, this is this is pre pre Moneyball. <laughs> um, so I think Initially, I thought I wanted to. I wanted to be like a pro sports GM. That was that was like kind of my first love is, you know, competition and sports. Um, but then, yeah, my uh, my vision for my career changed pretty quickly after college when I got, when I got a call from Electronic Arts, and uh, so I moved uh, moved to California. Uh, 
joined them was it was at EA for about four years. Uh, it was like an incredible formative experience for me. I had an opportunity to work with some amazing guys. Uh, it was actually Owen Mahoney who uh, was on your podcast just a few weeks ago yeah. who hired me at EA. So I had a chance to work for him and John Riccatello and Frank Jabot, who's now CEO of Zenga. So just like a number of like really, really amazing, you know, industry leaders, Laura Mielli, who's now pres- you know, president of EA. So that was a really, it was just like a, a perfect first opportunity to like learn the games industry to be working at EA during that era. It's kind of like the PlayStation 2, Xbox 360 era. Um, and then after that, I went back to business school while I was there, started my first game studio making mobile games. This is the app store, which is coming out. I saw that as a really interesting opportunity. Um, after that, I actually followed Owen to Nexon and I ran their mobile games group for, for a number of years. Um, and then in between Nexon and, and hundred thieves, uh, I took a year off at Bessemer Venture Partners um, to, uh, to kind of help help them look at the games industry and really write a roadmap for them. And that gave me a great opportunity to kind of look at everything in the space, not just developers and publishers, but, you know, non-traditional opportunities. And I'd been an esports fan for a long time and I was watching what was happening. And uh, I was introduced to Nadeshot and we kind of hit it off from there. And that's, that's how it all started at 100 Thieves. Awesome. Well, it's exciting to hear about your your well-rounded background there. But I have to ask, when you joined 100 Thieves, did you foresee it becoming the business of businesses that it is today? Or was there something more specific about that opportunity that you were attracted to? I'm just curious why you made that specific leap. You know, I think at the, I think at the time when I was at, when I was at Bessemer, um, we met with about 50 different esports organizations around the world. And it gave me a really good perspective on what a lot of organizations were doing. And I think the majority of them looked at the opportunity very similar to traditional sports and they were running kind of like the same sort of business model. And I always felt like that was underselling the opportunity, you know, like there are traditional sports has like a lot of rules and regulations around like what you can and cannot do. Um, and it's really about like out executing your competitors, right? And in esports, it's it's like kind of the exact opposite. It's like an entrepreneur's dream. It's like there are no rules, there are no regulations. The space is like it's kind of the wild west. Um, and I think when I met Nadeshot for the first time, it was very clear that he understood and he saw that and was ready to like attack that opportunity in a very very different approach. So like right from the start, it was I want to build a. a brand that gamers can be really proud of but also that doesn't like scream gaming you know like and i also am really competitive and so i want to win championships but i also know that building a community is about entertainment and content and it was the first time i'd I'd really heard such a such a broad vision around creating a new a new business and so it was certainly a riskier proposition than maybe some of the other more traditional like we're going to play esports like traditional sports but ultimately Part of it was just like, I think this guy might be a little crazy, but I love his enthusiasm and I love this. I love this concept, but also the like without you know, without risk, there there isn't as much upside. And so I think we we're both excited to take a big swing. That's true. Well, I guess I'm just to dig a bit deeper into that. I'm curious, like how much of what 100 Thieves today was like written on some secret roadmap that only you and Matt knew five years ago versus, you know, came, you know, one step at a time as you sort of figure out the space, figure out what you're good at, 
the industry evolves, how much of it was predestined, I guess you could say, versus more uh, think it up as you go? It's been a little bit of both. I mean, we've definitely, that's a really hard balance to find, you know, like starting with apparel, esports, and entertainment was probably two businesses more than most other companies were starting with. And so we weren't looking to expand that in the first few years. It really was all about like, okay, this is already a lot for us to, to execute on. Let's make sure these three things are all like, have like a stable foundation before we think about anything else. Um, but the founding story and how you present yourself to the community for the first time is so important and so crucial. And I think by introducing 100 Thieves to the community as kind of like this multifaceted business or brand, I think gave us license to then move on and expand into a variety of other things. Um, whereas, you know, if the Yankees, for example, like wanted to launch their own like fashion apparel brand, it, it would it, it would seem in, in Congress with like everything that they've done for the last hundred years, right? But because we started as a multifaceted business, adding new elements to that over time, I think, uh, was something that our community was really comfortable with and we were comfortable with as operators. Mm. And I guess before we move on, maybe we should clarify what exactly is 100 Thieves? You do so much. How do you even view your own business? Um, like, uh, you know, you're an esports company, but you're also way more than an esports company. You're an apparel company, but you also do all these other areas. How, how do you now present your, your company or classify it to yourself? Yeah, I think we never we never wanted to be pigeonholed as an as a esports org. So from the beginning, I think we prefer to to call ourselves a gaming lifestyle brand in the sense that we're trying to be at the forefront of gaming culture and move gaming culture forward. And that can take on a you know a variety of of fronts or a variety of elements. And that's that's gonna be kind of like an, an ever-changing platform for us. But lifestyle brand feels like a good a good name for for what we're trying to build. Why don't more organizations um, in this realm do what you do? Uh, why are you all able to be more ambitious and go in more directions that others either don't want to do or haven't figured out how to do? I, I got to give a lot of credit to Matt on this one. Like, I think Matt has a you know a decade long history with the gaming community. They've grown up with him as a esports athlete and as a content creator and as an entrepreneur. And I think he provides like, the credibility to actually be able to, to go into all of these different businesses. Like I think if, um, like I was saying in my example before, it's like if, you, if you're known as just kind of like a pro sports org or an esports org, and then you try to make like a very distinct business shift, I think the community just just is kind of like, oh, that doesn't make sense, or I don't really understand where that came from, or like, why do these guys think they're going to be successful there? Where I think, given Matt's ever changing, you know, like ev evolution as a athlete, creator, entrepreneur, I think we now have like the support and the license to to try a lot of different things, um, and so that's like a uh, I'd, I'd say like a very unique asset that Hundred Thieves has, and in, in Matt being the face and the strategic leader behind the company, you know? Yeah. It also sounds more fun, even as a leader to run something that, um, you know, is starting all these new interesting business lines and you just always are faced with a new, a new challenge and, and new opportunities to, to build around. And we'll talk about the, the main pieces in more depth 
throughout mm-hmm. the, the rest of this episode. But before we do that, um, I just want to ask, how do you actually manage this organization? Like, can you maybe just walk us through how 100 Thieves is just generally structured? How do decisions get made? And as the company has grown, like, what have you learned and, and changed along the way? Sure. Um, as the business has expanded, you know, like we run five or six different unique operations in like in pretty different industries um, that require totally different skill sets. So for me and and Matt, like it, it is like a management challenge to stay on top of all those things. So we've actually had to introduce like uh, I would say our our business process has changed pretty significantly over the last few years. Um, but the easiest way to describe this, and this is not like the, <laughs> it's not the sexiest part of the conversation, but we run, <laughs> we run pretty rigorous monthly business reviews with each of our businesses. That's our esports and entertainment business, our apparel business, high ground, juvie and video games, where we closely track, you know, about, about a dozen KPIs and then the P and L's for each of those individual businesses. And every month we meet with the leaders of those and we discuss what's what's going well and what our focus is going to be moving forward. Uh, so I think the first half of that is building process, but the second half and the most important part is I think we've hired some great leaders to run each of those businesses because Matt and I just don't have the time to be effectively, you know, like the CEO yeah. and COO of each of those. So the VPs, C-level execs that we have running each of those businesses are really tasked with delivering results and making those individual parts of our businesses the best that they can be. So yeah, that's the part that I really enjoy is finding great leaders and setting them up to succeed and helping them refine their strategy and then giving them the resources they need to really, to really like make the business the the best it can. So it's like a general manager model, um, essentially, and you just help empower each of the, the leaders and orgs. That's correct. I mean, 100 Thieves is definitely not a not like a holding company. I'm not a portfolio manager. Right. Uh, Matt and I are very much, you know, in the weeds and we understand each of our businesses. But at the end of the day, we really try to empower those leaders. Uh, yeah, I thought you were going to say like you have eSports Monday, you got Juvie Tuesday, <laughs> and, you know, every day of the week for for a different business model. But what you say <laughs> makes a lot more a lot more sense. Um, no, the, the reality is like that's one of the most fun parts of the job is like there are times when, you know, over the last month, it's been way over indexed. I probably spent 50% of my time thinking about... Um, what we're doing in in game development, right? We had the launch of the the Fortnite game. We're doing a lot of stuff on Project X right now as we're entering, you know, the esports offseason. So in the last 60 days, way over indexed on game development and esports. Um, what that looks like in the next 60 days is going to be totally different. Um, so we kind of keep this like regular cadence of checking in with every business, but then we really try to, you know. Uh, shift towards where where our impact can be greatest or when the businesses need need our feedback or advice. Okay, let's go ahead and jump mm-hmm. in to the individual business segments. And let's start with, with esports, uh, which is probably where most people uh, affiliate most with uh, 100 Thieves. And mm-hmm. it's... I guess I'll start with in a in a recent YouTube video, you you talked about how during the 2018 to 2021 era, Money was pouring into esports. Investors were demanding growth, but over the past two to three years, the market has flipped, and it started demanding profitability 
overgrowth, which naturally has profound implications for how you think about um, running that side of of the business. Um, but I'm curious to hear your view on what that path to sustainability and profitability ultimately entails at an operational level for 100 Thieves specifically, but also maybe more the industry more broadly. Yeah, I think I think unfortunately, like there was a lot that was probably wrong with esports in like 2018 to call it like 2021. I think investor expectations were probably outsized or maybe a little bit too optimistic or aggressive. Um, I also think a lot of like the structural structural, like I mentioned, it was kind of like the wild wild west, and I think a lot of the there was a there was a real lack of structure. I think there were a lot of brands just coming in space for the first time. Um, there was just it was just like a very it was very early in the industry's development, and I think there's a lot that we can learn from that period, and there's a lot that's changed since then. And I think we're all now having to react to that. So like make make no doubt about it. It's definitely like a tough moment in esports, and some people call it like esports winter. And, we're, we're okay with that because we're long-term believers in esports and that opportunity. Yeah. Um, but for us to, for us to like turn the narrative around a little bit, I think we need to show that we can run an esports business profitably and that there are real healthy economics, sustainable economics behind this business. Um, and we're on our way to, we're on our way to getting there, but it's going to take some time and take some patience and, and that's okay. Like, Esports is not overnight going to compete with the NBA or beat the NBA, um, but that's a timeline that we're comfortable with. It's going to take it's going to take years. Yeah, and I know. I think in that video you mentioned that over the the past season, uh, your Call of Duty organization lost two and a half million dollars. You can correct me if I'm wrong. While being um, becoming you know world champions at the sport, and obviously you create a ton of value by being great uh you know building brand equity building building fans um etc um but running that way isn't sustainable and so you know as an example you're having to to kind of rethink how you build that team and maybe it's affecting how you're building other teams um as well um but now that you're operating under you know different circumstances i know you still have the same drive to win even though the circumstances have changed and maybe this is more of a like a moneyball analytics question especially due to your your early you know career thoughts about you know being a, a gm um in in traditional sports i'm curious to hear your take on like how viable moneyball and analytics are in modern day esports and whether you can really get advantages there or just like how you think about winning while operating under different circumstances? Um, as we think about the future of 100 Thieves Esports, I would definitely say that like our commitment to winning is certainly one that is not diminished diminished at all. Um, but there are there are two goals. Like one is one is winning championships, but the other is helping the company succeed and helping the company stay alive for decades to come, right? And right. if we spend all of our money on Esports teams, like I said, like losing millions of dollars a year across multiple titles, like we're not gonna we're not gonna be able we're not gonna be a sustainable business, right? Like we're not gonna be around for a long time. And so I think we feel Matt and I feel like a tremendous responsibility to all the hundred thieves fans out there and the community more broadly to like be 
uh, a business that stays alive and a business that that is like a positive example that that like you can this is an interesting business and this is a growth opportunity and more people should be excited about esports and we want to see this be around and be successful for a long time. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of how we think about it. And so for us right now, it's like yeah, we are we're trying to help grow esports revenue. We're trying to work closely with the publishers where we can. We're trying to be thoughtful about how much we're spending on this. Um, again, to be a what is hopefully a positive example of like what a great esports business can look like. Yeah, and I think you're also being a a positive example just for transparency around um, being clear with the community about what's going on, what it means, um, et cetera. So that's been but that was uh, a really that was a really that was a really formative lesson that I learned from from Matt was you know people aren't always going to agree with us, but it's much better to explain how you're thinking and provide that transparency because I think we've all been frustrated by the traditional sports teams that make, you know, changes or decisions that you don't understand and they don't explain it at all. So we just, yeah, we went for kind of like a maximum transparency model. And I think that that's been, you know, in good times and in bad, like that's been really helpful for us um, in building that relationship with our, with our fans and our community. Yeah. And I think um, more people should probably, <laughs> you know, realize or come to learn that you're not alone in that being a reality of to operate in not just in esports but even if you look at the entire games industry right um and even tech more broadly you know we're sort of in an age of efficiency but that doesn't necessarily um uh, efficiency doesn't necessarily mean worse a lot of times teams can perform you know better faster when their leaner decisions get made um in in faster ways and so um i'm i'm curious i'm excited to watch this next i, I appreciate era. that perspective you know like just because just because one restaurant goes out of business doesn't mean that the restaurant business is terrible um and i think the uh i think the headlines of like the esports business being uh a bad industry overall are like greatly exaggerated and i think the next few years are going to kind of uh prove that out well let's talk about the next few years for a couple minutes then so um mm-hmm. Uh, a couple months ago, maybe we interviewed Evil Genius's CEO, Nicole Lapointe Jameson. And when we asked if there was one realistic change in the world of esports that would make your life a lot easier, what would it be? She said, I wish leagues could figure out media rights. And I think part of that comment was about accessibility. Part of it was about just like, you know, creating consistency in this Wild West era, and probably a few more, you know, sub points to that too. But I'm curious, um, you know, if I were to ask that question to you, if there was one realistic change in the world of esports that can make your life a lot easier, what would it be? Would you agree with her answer? Or would you have a a different answer? Um, Both. I agree with Nicole, but I also have a different answer. Um, Media rights is one part of the puzzle that we need to solve. But there's media rights, there's sponsorship, there's microtransactions on the revenue side. Um, There's also like major cost issues that we need to fix as an industry as well, both for publishers and for the teams. Um, My my one big change would actually be, I think, I'm not not sure if the current structure of esports makes the most sense for publishers and for teams. I would actually love to see one of the publishers actually spin out their esports business. Um, I ultimately think that that would result in a healthier ecosystem for 
publishers, for teams, for players, and for fans. Um, I think, for example, like having an, an owner like, you know, Liberty Media is the is a huge enter- sports and entertainment conglomerate that owns F1 and has helped F1 grow, you know, 10x since they acquired it uh, a little bit less than like a decade ago. I think it would be incredible if we had an external partner come in and work with one of the publishers and actually like buy the rights to an, to an esport because currently I think the the publishers still look at esports as a marketing tool for their games and I think that that's um, under leveraging the opportunity that we have in front of us to grow an amazing an amazing ecosystem. I think we can drive more viewership. I think we can bring in more fans. I think we can make more money for the publishers, uh, for the players, for the teams, um, with a kind of like an objective third-party business owner whose goal is to grow this, you know, like grow this league and grow this sport and grow this industry. Um, so ultimately, I, I would I would hope that a publisher gives that gives that opportunity or get I don't know explores that opportunity or, or gives us that gives us that chance because I'd, I'd be pretty bullish on that. That's an interesting idea. I've never heard anyone throw that out before. Um, but I guess just to, to make sure I, I fully understand what you're saying, you're basically saying at the core of it, if you change the incentives <laughs> of uh, and change the structure to change the incentives, you'll just naturally come to um, a different outcome if you align the incentives of whatever dedicated organization with the rest of the people um in in the ecosystem is that generally what you're getting at you you nailed it i mean i think one of the best things about traditional sports is everyone is aligned you know the in the nfl for example like the the commissioner and the owners and the players and the networks espn the brand partners you know like the biggest sponsors you know, the, like the Fords of the world, the Budweiser's of the world, like they are all hugely incentivized to grow that business every single year. And for the NFL to be the biggest and best business that it possibly could be in terms of delivering for fans and delivering as a business. And right now, I just don't think all those, I don't think we're aligned on a shared set of goals or incentives um, with, uh, with the current structure. And, uh, and I hope that that changes in the next in the next few years. If you had to call out one esport to be the first mover to do that, who would you who would you call out? Uh, I think that I think the opportunities there, like there are a number of like great, healthy esports that could be a good guinea pig. But for for what it's worth, this is already the case. Like I would argue that Counter Strike is a pretty pretty healthy esport. Valve has been largely hands off with that and is worked with the ESL group is kind of like the third party operator there. And I think they've done yeah. a good job of creating like a healthy independent ecosystem. Um, but even, but uh, I think we could probably take it, take it one step further, but yeah, the, op- the opportunity is there for a publisher that is looking to offload this cost and offload this responsibility and see if they're, if a new model might, might make more sense than, than what we've been doing to date. Mm. Okay. Well, last question about esports before we move on. Um, how, just how do you think esports organizations will work and operate differently five years from now? We've talked about maybe cost structures have to change. Maybe the structure of, of esports and leagues themselves change. Is there anything else 
big picture that you wouldn't be surprised to see change across these organizations? I think it's actually the ecosystem that's going to change more than esports teams, maybe. I would say the the relationship between teams and publishers and, and players, I think, is the, is the part that's still there's the most flexibility or there's the most opportunity. And I think that that is, that's the piece of the industry that's probably going to change the most in the next few years. Okay. Interesting. Well, let's go ahead and, and move on and talk about um, how 100 Thieves is entering game development, uh, which you're doing in two ways. One on UAFN, um, Unreal Engine for Fortnite. Um, and second with Project X, which is a AAA FPS, as I understand it. And we'll discuss both. But before we dive into the details, I'm curious, why make games at all, especially with everything else you have going on? All right, I got a little bit of a longer answer for this one. Um, Hit me. Given my background in in development and publishing, that was always like one of the first questions that I got from our investors or partners or prospective investors, whoever. They'd be like, oh, why aren't you making games? And it's like, when we started in 20, 2018, if you wanted to make a game, it was, you know, you needed a couple hundred people and a hundred million dollars of development, you know, like a hundred million dollars to, to develop a game and a hundred million dollars to market a game. It was like, prohibitively expensive to develop like a triple a AAA title um and i think over the course of the last four or five years that landscape has changed dr- dramatically right like i think the major publishers are going to continue to make huge investments into development and marketing but that's on one end of like a, a barbell strategy and on the other end of a barbell strategy we now have some amazing tool sets with what's happening in Roblox and what's happening in, in Fortnite. And kind of in the middle of that, you also have some really unique tools and platforms like Unreal Engine and Unity um, that are democratizing game development in a way that you know we couldn't really see or couldn't anticipate five years ago. And so I think that's presented an amazing opportunity, not just for 100 Thieves, but for a lot of non-traditional developers, whether that's individuals or hobbyists or small teams or indie teams or mid-sized devs. Uh, I think the playing field is just like totally shifted. And I think publishers and you know people investing $100 million in games are still going to have a ton of success. But now all of a sudden, there's, there's this huge new opportunity open for uh, other types of game developers as well. The business opportunity and the platform shift is half of this. The other half of why 100 Thieves is developing games is we have some amazing creators and esports pros and insights. So kind of like over the last few years, as Matt and I were going around and talking with some of our creators and esports pros, like the way that they talk about video games is similar to some of the best game designers and product managers I've ever worked with. Like these people understand like the deepest nuances of features uh at like an, an an incredible an incredible level they're just like really really thoughtful about this whether they're like oh here's here's what i love about you know like warzone 2 or here's what they changed that i really really don't like in terms of like uh time to kill or the weapons tuning or the balance of the game or the new season updates or their monetization model you know like the esports pros have very, very strong perspective on competitive balance of uh, of the games they play. The creators have really, really strong opinions on the content updates and the monetization and the seasonal, you know, like strategy of a lot of free to play games. 
And so just listening and learning from those two groups over the, over those like three years, it was like, wait, we have this wealth of product uh, feedback and input and intuition at our disposal that we would love to apply to game development ourselves. Because we, like all the time we had publishers and developers coming, can we get feedback from your pros? Can we get feedback from your creators? And we were like, why don't we actually just leverage this ourselves? And so one part was the industry was evolving. Another part was we felt like we had a lot of core insights ourselves. Um, and then the, the last part was just like, me and Matt really wanted to make a game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, especially with your game dev um, background. Well, I guess a, a third pillar to all of that, too, is the community that you have, which, you know, wants mm -hmm. to support you probably in most anything you want to do and is willing to, you know, be patient and give feedback. How do you view the role of your community in the process of game development that maybe is also a unique advantage if, if you view it that way? For sure. Like I said, you, you know, if five years ago you needed $100 million to spend on development and $100 million to spend on marketing, the development costs totally changed with the rise of some of these new platforms and tools. Marketing is still a huge challenge for any small or mid-sized game company, but thanks to the reach that we have, right? The brand that we've built, the community that we have, we feel like if we build a great game, word is going to get out. People are going to see that we've built something that they should play. And the onus is still like, we absolutely have to build a great game. Like there's no, yeah. <laughs> like the hurdle is, is very high, but we do know that if we build a great game, people are going to see it and people are going to, people are going to play it. Okay. Well, let's, let's take the, the two parts of the barbell one by one and let's start mm -hmm. with UEFN. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you can just start by telling us why you decided to build on UAFN, what you've built so far, and how that's going. Can I take it the other way around, actually? Please. <laughs> so Project X started, um, we realized like we didn't need a huge team to make a lot of progress. So we hired a couple of great engineers and a couple of great artists. And it's a very, it's a very small team. We made a lot of progress very, very quickly in terms of building out a like FPS kind of um, like prototype, I guess. Uh, it's basically just like a sandbox that we could play in because we still have a lot of work to do to decide like exactly what the game is going to be. Okay. Um, but we felt really strongly about like what we needed at the networking layer and what we wanted the gunplay and the movement to feel like. So we kind of like really worked on those three things for, uh, for a few months and got to a place where we were like, okay, we've got an, an amazing prototype that we can play around with. Um, we've been thinking about how to fundraise and develop that game in the most, in the smartest way possible. And so as we were going about that, we were continuing the development and then GDC happened and UEFN was announced and we started this little, this little side quest. Yeah. Cause one, one question I was going to ask is you're on two sides of the barbell and I was going to ask, are you on two sides of the barbell with two different strategies? Or is the purpose of building on UEFN more to just get smarter <laughs> about what to do for Project X? And so I'm curious, maybe you could kind of talk about really what the intention mm -hmm. is with UEFN. And you did one project, maybe you can tell us a bit about that, but maybe kind of connect how you view that project, ongoing projects with Project X. 
Sure. I mean, one part of the beauty of 100 Thieves is like we can just be opportunistic, right? When cool things come up and we want to do an experiment, like we basically just said, like, let's take let's take a couple of people and try to build something and see if this platform is like worth our time. Let's explore it from a technical perspective and a product perspective and see like how the community reacts. So we looked at what was happening inside of Fortnite. A lot of what was working were the same type of game, some clones from some traditional PC games. And we said, like, we I think this platform is ripe for some innovation and something like a little bit better. So we went for something a little bit more strategic that relies on more uh, like team play, basically, and came up with this concept of uh, like a, a bank heist because we knew that that would be like a popular theme. but. Uh, it also is is basically like round based strategic gameplay, as opposed to a more like ri- ridiculous Fortnite style creative experience. All right. And so we just wanted to do something like a little bit different. I mean, I, so uh, that that was kind of like the initial strategy, and we just wanted to see how it would do. Um, and so far, we've been really really pleased with the results, and um, we've learned a tremendous amount. And like what the Fortnite community is looking for is definitely very different than like what the Steam community or competitive gaming community is looking for. But it's been really fun to learn a new platform and learn a new community and see see what this will become. So are you still committed to building more on UEFN? Or what, how does UEFN fit in your, your strategy going forward? Uh, I'll give you the pros and cons. So the, okay. the pros are, you know, we were able to develop a pretty a pretty cool product that was differentiated and was a lot of fun and got great feedback. And I think we were, you know, like we're top 30 maps inside of Fortnite, over 5,000 CCUs, like really, really proud of that. Like the best parts are it's easy to develop for, you can get a game out pretty quickly. Um, They handle, you know, like a lot of like the harder technical infrastructure and scalability like issues. Um, And they have, 60 million monthly active users, right? So pretty incredible, pretty incredible pawn to go fish in per se. Um, the flip side is I think the platform is still like super, super early. So I guess that's both downside and upside is like, it's going to continue developing. I think the platform's going to get like a whole lot better over the coming year or so. Um, but the other, I'd say the other part that's a little bit of an unknown is monetization. So, you know, we don't sell IP, like that is wholly up to Epic. And how we monetize is a little bit of a black box. Like we won't know how much money we've made from Bank Heist for another 30 days at least. Um, so it's really hard for us to build a business around that yeah. just yet. But I would say like early results are we had a great time building the game, super positive response from the community, really optimistic that this could be something big in the future. And now we'll see what the economics look like. Okay, well, I'm excited to see um, where where it takes you. I totally agree. It's so early. It's hard to to build any kind of plan that you can rely on um, when mm-hmm. you don't know what exactly you're going to earn or how the platform will shake out or how discovery will work in the future. But from, but from like a game design product standpoint and a team culture standpoint, it's just like an amazing platform, right? Like if we had yeah. just kept developing Project X, like we would have shipped our first game, whatever, a year or two from now, and it would have been like our first launch. Like now we've got, we've shipped something, we've iterated, we've updated, you know, dozens of times already. Like building that culture and 
building that like flywheel of getting feedback and improving things is like a great, a great thing to do. Um, so I'm glad we got to do that. And also just gives us an opportunity to put some of our design ideas out there for the community and get some feedback. Like, yeah. Hey, we've got this idea for a feature that that might end up inside of uh, Project X. Like, let's try it out inside of UEFN. Um, <laughs> let's get let's give this a spin and see how people react to get some early feedback. Um, and yeah, I mean, I can't say that like any parts of Bank Heist, I don't want people to think that like <laughs> Bank Heist is just going to become Project X um, or the features you see in there are going to end up in Project X. But I think moving forward, um, there will definitely be like a really symbiotic relationship between what we're developing in UEFN and what ends up going into uh, Project X. Awesome. Well, I love to hear that you all are satisfied with the results so far, even if it's just part of it is just how it affects your process and way of working. That's excited. And, I, and personally, I'm super bullish on, on UEFN over the next you know three to five years, let's call it. I think it's a pretty powerful platform um, in the making. So I think we, we have a lot to look forward to. Um, mm-hmm. More specifically about Project X, um, I know you said that you know, you're still narrowing in on exactly how you want that game to be what what exact type of game it is um but could you maybe even just like at a bigger picture you know just share more about like where you see a gap in the market here because the shooter market is big you know you're Mm -hmm. competing against IPs that have been around for 20 plus years with massive audiences or companies like Riot that, you know, have enormous teams um, behind them, you know, building games that can be huge hits out of the gate like Valorant. Um, so I'm curious, like, where you where do you see Project X really fitting into this this ecosystem? Where is the opportunity that you're chasing and what would a success look like to you? I guess I could just share some of the things that we really that we believe in really strongly. And because we don't we don't know exactly what we're going to make yet, we do know what, what we believe in and kind of like what opportunity we're chasing. Um, I would say like we, Matt and I and Pete Holly, who's leading our our game development efforts and leading the studio and building all that and really responsible for all this. Um, we really believe in some of the games from the gold generation of like competitive halo and competitive call of duty and i don't mean the esports side i mean ranked playlists you know like we really really love shooters and we really love competing in in game and not in unranked or skill-based matchmaking or like hidden matchmaking but like logging on knowing that you're going to play ranked and you're going to find out how good you are and you're going to challenge yourself to get better. And you love playing on an even playing field and you love to compete against your friends and other, other people on the internet. And so I think in a lot of ways, like a lot of publishers have moved away from that in the last few years. Maybe Riot is one of the only ones that has really embraced like ranked, competitive ranked. Um, and I think that that's something that we love, but it's something that could be applied to a variety of different games or game types. Um, and so, yeah, I think like at our core, the, the gunplay and the movement and the rank play that we want is all like, we kind of have an idea for, for what, what that will be, but the actual game design itself or the, the rule set I think is one that we're going to be experimenting the most with. Um, the last thing I would say is just like, you know, we definitely love the battle royale genre and think that that's ripe for additional 
innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we'll probably start somewhere in that space. And those are, those are kind of like the, the threads that we're pulling on right now as we think about like, what, what do we want to try inside this sandbox? Okay. Uh, that sounds exciting. Yeah, I totally agree that Battle Royale is due for some type of extra innovation. And I'm also not surprised to hear your comments about ranked, given I feel like every time I hear Matt <laughs> talk about Call of Duty, it's always, it's always you know, there's some inner rage about, um, you know, not having ranks like they used to. Um, but okay, well, that sounds good. I mean, like, I, I don't know, like, how, how good you are. Like, Matt is at a very different no, level than, than I am. But like, I get as much satisfaction and joy at a gold level as Matt does at, you know, like immortal, you know? And I think that that's like the beauty of, of ranked play is like, I'm really proud when I level up or when I rank up in the same way that, that he is, even though like our lobbies would never, never overlap. Um, and I think that's a lot more fun. Like I've played, I played Valorant against our Valorant pros and I played Fortnite <laughs> against our Fortnite pros and the experience sucks. Like that's not fun. That's not, it's just like not fun at all, you know, like it's not, it's not, well, maybe it's fun for them, but <laughs> it's not fun for me. And so, yeah, we really, we really believe in rank play. And I think that that's going to be a cornerstone of anything that we, anything that we build. Great. Well, I'll probably be right there around gold with you. Um, one other question I have about this is just how are you making these games? Um, you mentioned, um, I think his name was Pete, who's leading up a studio, but is it like an actual internal studio? Are you relying on co-development? How did you, how is this being built and how are you deciding to kind of scale it up as you go? We thought about doing co-development. We talked to a number of great co-development partners in maybe it was like 20, maybe like 2021. And then they all got bought by the major publishers. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot like, of that. There's just there's just been so much industry consolidation that like any good studio that we wanted to work with ended up getting bought by a combination of like, you know, Activision, Riot, Tencent, EA, like etc, cetera, etc, cetera, Embracer. So, um it wasn't super obvious that we could build a game with a co-development partner that would be the quality that we wanted, and so we decided we we'd go the the riskier route of actually building it ourselves. And so Pete Holly is our chief product officer and he leads the game development efforts. I've known Pete since we were at EA together. Um, Pete was really early in the, in like building games like Fable and uh, he was a executive producer on Burnout Paradise, which is one of my favorite games at EA. He was leading the Criterion studio, went on and was very successful at a number of other big game companies. And shared a love for shooters and building great games. And so we got him to come over. And since then we've been, uh, our team is a mix of people who have like very strong, big company AAA experience combined with a number of people that have like very unique, more like community-based skill sets. Um, And so, yeah, we have some real, like huge firepower industry veterans combined with some people that are like very early in their careers in the industry. Um, and that's provided us with like a great culture and two different perspectives on, on what we want to build. Exciting. Um, I won't grill you on, on timelines, obviously, but for those who are curious about learning more about this game, um, what are the next milestones that um, everyone should be looking forward to here? 
Uh, I think you'll continue to see us making games in UEFN. I think on Project X, um, the game continues in development, but I think the most important thing for us is uh, setting that up from like a resources and funding perspective to make sure that we can see this one all the, all the way through. Okay, cool. Yep. Well, we have about 10 more minutes together. Um, mm-hmm. And so I do want to move on and maybe we can kind of more quickly hit on a few other areas of the business, maybe just one one question per per area or something like that. Um, sure. And so one question I have is just about creators. Um, and, you know, if you look back over the past few years, there have been, you know, very much times where attracting and sponsoring and bringing together creators was a major race in the esports world. And I, and I know it still is important. Um, but if we look over, you know, those past five years or so of those efforts, I'm curious what you or the broader industry over or underrated about the role of creators and online content creation for helping build these gaming lifestyle businesses? Um, yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. I think similar to esports, it's like there isn't a defined structure for how to work with content creators as a gaming or esports organization. And I think that the model has definitely evolved a lot in the last few years. Um, the way that Hundred Thieves approaches it is, um, as we as we say, we're looking for entrepreneurs, not influencers. Uh-huh. So if people want to work with us to help build their business and our business. Like that is a great opportunity that um, we would love to pursue. If people are just looking at us as like uh, a paycheck or I, 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 I don't know, like it, we're trying to avoid like a super transactional relationship. Like we've, we've been very fortunate to have like, obviously like founded by creators, co-owned by creators with Volcare and, and Courage. So you know, like it's it's core to what we do at Hundred Thieves, and now we're really trying to help move the model move the model forward and provide more value for them and figure out ways that it, that it works for Hundred Thieves too. Gotcha. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, for apparel, uh, mm-hmm. One Hundred Thieves manages apparel. From what I can tell, at a more elite level than other organizations. Um, could you share what in the company's DNA, structure, talent, something else provides real competitive advantages here that have enabled you to stand out from the pack? Well, 100 Thieves started as an apparel company, you know, like before before we had our LCS team, we were just, you know, some people used it as a, uh, as a you know, derogatory term. They would call us a hoodie org. Um, I think <laughs> the we, cream hoodie. Oh yes, <laughs> I actually take a lot of pride in the fact that like we are like a strong standalone apparel company. And if you saw someone walking down the street wearing a, a hundred thieves sweatshirt, uh, you wouldn't necessarily say like, "Oh, that's a gaming organization or a gaming brand." Um, I get that all the time. Like you know, like our fans get that all the time. Oh, like what's well, hundred thieves? Like it's pretty cool. You know, pretty cool hat. You know. Um, so I think that's what we're really trying to go for. And that team actually largely comes from the men's apparel and streetwear industry as opposed to from the games industry, you know, cause like we are, we are trying to build like a standalone strong apparel business with, okay. with roots in gaming. I don't think we're ever going to get away from that, but you know, in the same way that Supreme came from skate, but is bigger than skate and Jordan came from basketball, but it's certainly like bigger than basketball. Uh, I think our hope would be for a hundred thieves, you know, our roots are always going to be in gaming, but for us to be a, 
uh, an apparel business that's respected as kind of like a standalone brand. Well, tell me about Juvie then. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of your newest business lines. It's an energy drink brand. And I can think up uh, a few reasons, even though it's not as directly gaming related, maybe as some of the other parts of the business, why you still might want to do this. Like, mm-hmm. I know you have had a bunch of drink sponsors over time. Maybe you realize it's better just to own the drink. Uh, maybe you're looking at a company like like Red Bull, who makes a lot of money off their drinks and can subsidize all the other crazy stuff um, that they want to do. Um, but you can, that's just my speculation. You can actually share the truth here. Um, why launch an energy drink business? What does that do for you? And what have you learned about this completely different business line, building it up from ground zero? Juvie, like a lot of our, like a lot of our kind of exploratory pursuits is one part passion and one part business. Like there's asymmetric risk here. Launching an energy drink business is not super expensive. And if you are successful, you could make, you know, like could be a cash cap eventually, right? Like it could be worth hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, right? Um, and it's not super expensive. But the idea of launching Juvie did not start as like me presenting Matt with a like, you know, a risk assessment. It started with him saying, like, you know, I've had an energy drink every day for the last 20 years. And, you know, like there are a lot of brands that have been, you know, legacy brands that haven't changed very much. What what if we did it our own way, right? Like, what if we did it in the same way that we did apparel and with everything that we learned from high ground and the keyboards? Like, what if we applied all those learnings to the energy drink space? And so it was, it was a mix of like huge enthusiasm, a strategy for how we're going to do things different than the incumbents. And this idea that, you know, we don't have to risk a ton of money to take a, to take a shot. Yeah. Selling liquids is an amazing business. So I, I, I can't blame you for wanting to jump in there. I think the margins are okay. They're not as good as virtual items, but yeah, that that's also a good place, good place to be. But yeah, I read that like monster energy was something like over the past 30 years was like the top performer in the entire stock market up, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of percent. So that's great. Um, maybe that could be 100 thieves next um, with, with Juvie as a as a powerhouse cash flow engine. Um, you mentioned high ground and, you know, taking learnings from high ground um, over to Juvie, um, obviously also selling physical items, but more uh, premium keyboards, peripherals uh, to gamers. I'm curious, maybe you can just expand a bit more on what you learned from high ground, but also just what you learned from um, acquiring a team and embedding it as a pillar into the broader 100 Thieves business. Sure. I mean, the the high ground story is one of my favorite stories from the evolution of 100 Thieves because we met a couple of like really young entrepreneurs that were building this business. It was just like the two co-founders at the time we met them and they were thinking about raising their next venture around. And we just thought that they were really smart and really scrappy and had like a really compelling vision for the business. And we're getting a lot of, they were getting shit done. It's just the two of them. And, you know, we love their attitude and also just like the core business premise of like, you know, what black keyboards are pretty lame. <laughs> like yep. <laughs> I think as people, as people move forward, they want like a high performing keyboard, but they want something that's cool. So these guys walked in and they were like, look, keyboards, keyboards are the new sneakers, you know, like keyboards are sneakers for the next generation. And that really resonated with us because I already had a bunch of keyboards and there were people all over hundred thieves that had, you know, were like real hardcore keyboard enthusiasts, you know, we're like, we're 
buying the ones from Japan and, you know, like customizing their boards with the switches and the base plates and the, you know, the keycaps and everything. And so we were like, this is clearly like a, uh, this is clearly like a trend that is only going to grow and something that we want to get in early on. And so when we met two great entrepreneurs that like shared a similar mentality and vision and we're doing a great job, we were like, let's combine forces here. And they've had a tremendous amount of success in the last two years since they joined. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, when I was looking at the products, uh, I was like, wow, <laughs> these are these are legitimately really great products and I've yet to bite the bullet and buy one, but mainly because it's hard to pick one because there there's so many so many good options options there. So um, great to hear about that. Um, I think we covered the main parts of of the business with that. Um, one one follow-up question maybe before we we wrap up is sure. one of 100 thieves greatest assets is its brand and the community that forms around it. But um, naturally with the acquisition of high ground, the launch of Juvie, these aren't directly 100 thieves, you know, brands slapped on on the product in some way. They're they are standalone brands that operate in your ecosystem. So maybe mm-hmm. could you just unpack a little bit more, like what your general branding strategy is and how that kind of serves your broader ecosystem strategy? Sure. I think I think one of the learnings after the first two or three years was like 100 thieves is already doing a lot, right? apparel, esports teams, content. Um, I think we felt like that was enough for the brand. And if we stretched the brand any further, we were risking losing some of that brand value or some of that alignment, you know? Like one example would just be, I think Virgin started as like record stores, but then went into like cola and airlines and all this other stuff. And I think now like they've lost, I don't don't know what Virgin means at this point, right? Like other than Richard Branson, right? Um, and so I think for 100 Thieves, we wanted to keep that, the things that we really believe in and like the a core of our business, here's what we do, you know that, we're not going to change that. High Ground leveraged everything we learned from a business perspective and our distribution didn't change, right? It's like, we're still telling the whole 100 Thieves community about the keyboards that we're making. We're just doing it under a different brand. But um, I think you get the best of both worlds in the sense of like high ground was able to talk to all the hundred thieves fans and the gaming community more broadly, but also build their own hardcore community too, and not be held back by being part of hundred thieves that does all these other things. And so we found that that worked really well. And so we decided to do the same thing with, uh, with, uh, with Juvie too. Cool. Well, I look forward to seeing how you balance that uh, over time, especially if you have extra tricks up your sleeve with more products to launch um, in in future years. Game development um, will be the hardest one. That's the one. That's the one that I'm not sure how we're going to attack that from like a brand standpoint. So if, I, if I'm dropping any clues here, I would say that one's still like a big open question on whether that will be hundred these or whether that will be a, its own unique brand. Well, it seems like you have some time to to noodle on it and, and think it out. Uh, mm-hmm. One one last question before we wrap, um, and I guess I should start with saying I could easily talk another hour with you um, about just 100 Thieves and all the things you have going on. But John, I have to ask, looking beyond 100 Thieves, is there anything that you're particularly excited about in the broader games industry, whether it's a game, a company, a trend? What do you have your eye on these days? Again, like the... The best part of 100 Thieves is we were set up as a platform to go attack those opportunities, right? Like 
Um, I tweeted about this a couple of weeks ago, but what's happening with the democratization of game development is just like an un. It's I think it's just like so cool. If I weren't if I weren't at Hundred Thieves, I would definitely be starting. Uh, I think a UEFN studio right now mm. and putting out putting out a lot of games. So it's amazing that I have the opportunity to like see something like that and and get get support and and go go jump on those sorts of trends right away. Um, but yeah, I think these like these small teams building interesting new products is great. Like the game I'm playing the most right now is BattleBit, which I think was developed by like three three guys and it sold uh, a couple million copies. And I just think that's such that's a, a cool, cool story. story that they were like, we're going in the opposite direction of this like super high fidelity, like AAA style. What really matters is actually like big team gameplay and like great gunplay. And like, we totally agree. Like we probably share very, very similar values and like, they ended up building like an incredible, incredible, like very polished product that just like didn't need super high fidelity graphics, but the gameplay is super, super fun. So I think um, I couldn't be more excited about playing more games like that and seeing that scene develop. It's like, uh, you know, I've always been kind of like, you know, even though I worked at EA and Nexon, like always like a little bit of like a supporter of the indie scene too. And I think that that's only going to continue to to thrive here. Great. Well, instead of asking what else you are excited about, I should have asked, is there anything 100 Thieves can't do eventually? Um, but that, that was a good answer. Um, finally, if anyone wants to reach out to you personally, John, or learn more about everything 100 Thieves is up to, where should they go? Mm-hmm. Uh, at 100 Thieves on all social platforms. And we're always looking for great people. We're looking for developers. So. Um, Shoot me an email, John at hundredthieves.com. Like I love, I love getting cold emails. It was like I, I loved sending them when I was earlier in my career. I still send them. So uh yeah, if people want to reach out, feel free to shoot me an email. Awesome. Well, John, uh, this has been a blast. I really enjoyed learning more about 100 Thieves, getting to know you, and I can't wait to continue rooting you on and watching the whole team uh build out this crazy company. So thank you again for joining me today. Aaron, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.